Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijong, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing Turning Red and The Tourist, a film and a show about whether you can change who people say you are. <laughs> I will give that credit to Jenny. She's a genius. (laughs) I'm just just going to say, we are so good across the board at finding whatever little linkages we can, uh, however small or big. Exactly. So how's your week been, love? Uh, My week has been all right. I went to a buffet for the first time in quite a while. I was just like really craving one. Um, There Mm. aren't that many options around here, so... After mm. a lot of searching and like going on Yelp and Google reviews, I found this like sports bar not far uh, from me in like the suburbs that does a weekend Ooh. brunch sort of thing. Yeah, nice. And it was, you know, basically kind of the quality of like a hotel breakfast bar, like a, you know, not not terrible, not yeah. superb, probably maybe even a little better than like a lot of those continental breakfasts. But yeah, 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 yeah. you know, it kind of... It hit the spot. Whatever was inside me that was like craving this sort of Perfect. gluttony, uh, yeah, it did yeah. the trick. Um, how was your week, Fallon? Diamet- no, I wouldn't say diametrically opposed, but I had the pleasure of having an omakase meal that I thankfully did not have to pay for because I looked at how much it cost afterwards and it was 400 bucks a person. <gasps> Isn't that nuts? Wow. Isn't that nuts? I... That is hands wow. down the most expensive meal I will probably ever have in my entire oh life. Oh my god. Did it taste like a $400 meal? It was the best meal of my life, Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's good. No, it was incredible. Like it truly, it kind of made me cry at some moments. Like oh. my eyes were watering. I was like, this is insane how good this is. But yeah, I mean, again, it was such a random occurrence that... again it will never happen it was not because of me or like who my standing in society beautiful like once in a lifetime thing oh yeah yeah so drop the drop the name of the restaurant where where is this place that people do have 400 dollars like burning their pockets sure yeah some of our listeners um it's called ica i double c a um it's in tribeca and yeah dude just incredible just Mm. i highly highly recommend it if you've got that kind of money me i'm just like storing that shit in my brain you know like (laughs) i'm just gonna remember that moment for the rest of my life um oh that's amazing it was really cool but (laughs) that was the highlight of my week and then ever (laughs) since then i've just been having ham sandwiches Mm. we we have a wide and uh varied diet there's room for all kinds of cuisines and yes price points in in what we eat our gluttony knows no bounds <laughs> now what else did you do this week pelin in terms of your tv movie diet so i watched turning red which is available on disney plus i feel like it's weird how many pixar films have just gone straight to disney plus but i'm not complaining because mm-hmm. i definitely yeah. wouldn't have seen this if this was only in the movie theaters because there's no way i'm spending that much money on a pixar film again um <laughs> No offense. So, for those of you that don't know, Pixar's latest Turning Red is directed by Domi Shi, and this is her feature debut, and it's written by Domi Shi and Julia Cho. So, Domi Shi, if you don't know her, you might have seen her short Bao, mm. uh, which was also made on the, under the Pixar banner. Did you ever watch Bao? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right? Made the made the rounds, like, was largely celebrated in, uh, quote-unquote, the Asian-American online community whatever yes. that means 
Oh, yeah, because it did that perfect intersection of it's about food and also parents. So, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yes. really hit um, the spot for a lot of oh, people. Yeah. Nostalgia oh, wise. yeah, absolutely. And so I love that short. I thought it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And um, what I thought was interesting about Turning Red is I think she really, like, with the fact that she has, like, an hour and some to play with, she really explored the themes that she explored in Bow a little bit more in mm-hmm. Turning Red. So is Bow, I think, is like a really good prelude for Turning Red. But mm-hmm. anyway. And I think it's like widely available online if you if you just search for it. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, I watched this film last weekend. And it's been interesting over the span of the week just seeing what's been going on with this film in terms of not even just like critical feedback, just in the news. Um, discourse. And, yeah, the discourse, etc. Yeah, exactly. So it's been that girl. Um, it's <laughs> been a bit of a source of controversy. Would you say controversy? I don't know. I think some people, uh, some ignorant people have decided that it's not relatable to them. Yeah. And then the, the lashback of like people being like, well, it is relatable to me. So fuck you. And yeah, anyway, it's, just it's been like become kind of weirdly embroiled in like this kind of debate or difference in opinion for a what is ostensibly like a children's animated film yes it is set in 2002 and it's about mei lin lee aka mei uh she is a 13 year old chinese canadian academically overachieving teen girl who along with her friends is obsessed with a boy band called four town uh but unlike her friends mei has a mother that holds her in the highest regard basically and but and she requires mei to be the perfect daughter um, a task that May achieves very easily, but like sacrifices her own wants and needs uh, very easily as well, unfortunately. So mm. one day after a particularly humiliating event that involves boys <laughs> and her mother, embarrassing her, basically, she transforms the next day into a fluffy, huge red panda, which is the mascot of her family's temple, which she looks after with her parents. And it like they live right behind the temple as well. Mm-hmm. What did you think of it? I know you watched it a little bit later than I did, but you got around yeah, to it. Yeah, I just watched it, it uh, on Saturday night. Mm. I honestly, you know, I do like animated things in general, as yeah. uh, I think people know. You're the champion of it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, on this, but, sh- on this yeah, show. Yeah, but I yeah. felt lately sometimes like a little bit aged out of some of the, you know, works that are produced in this vein. You know, the things that are kind of more explicitly like Disneyfied or something like that. Or when I watched this trailer, I wasn't particularly like, okay, gotta see that. Right. Although like I, I like Pixar. I really loved Pixar, especially when I was younger. Um, so I didn't even really know if I was going to like this film that much, judging mm. from like my, my hesitation, my uh, thoughts on the trailer, but you really convinced me to give it a <laughs> shot. You were like, this is really good. I'm like crying. Um, please watch it. And so I was well, like, okay, yes, I'll I'll watch it. The first thing that I said to you was, it's about mothers and daughters. We have yeah, to do it on the pod. Yeah, yeah. Because like, we are right, obviously the a- ambassadors of, of mother-daughter relationship. We really love depictions about, on screen. About that. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I, I ended up wholly convinced, especially by by the end of it. It's it's a really good moving film and really beautiful in a lot of ways and even the animation which mm-hmm. i wasn't sure if i was gonna like the look of a lot of it because i still am not the, the the biggest fan of a lot of these digital you know mm. more 3d cgi kind yeah. of thing um but i found the the use of colors and the animation like really beautiful and mm-hmm. uh overall it's it's really great i i think i even teared up at one moment i think the main thing that i was concerned about after watching the trailer before watching the film was is this going to 
think about these themes in ways that feel a little bit less uh, surface level. Mm-hmm. Because the whole thing of like parents, oh parents, is is a little bit boring to me if that's all you're doing, just sighing at the thing. But I felt like this yeah. film really examined a lot of what it brought up, and it was much smarter actually than I thought it was going to be. Which, yeah, no offense to you know Domi Shi and Julia Cho, it's just that it's a children's film essentially. Yeah. So, and given the for all intents and purposes, like the appearance level, the 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 subject matter, which is quite universal it's something yeah. that everyone sort of talks about but it can yeah. quite easily turn i don't know like like asinine basically yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. like it's so yeah. so commonplace as to be rendered like uh meaningless more or less yeah so in terms of themes i've been finding it pretty interesting watching the twitter feedback rolling in as people watch it it seems to me that a lot of people are responding to the theme of puberty first mm, or like mm. maybe only so let's talk about it puberty mm. red panda that is i guess meant to signify it so Malin mm. one day waking up and transforming into this huge fluffy like i don't know like seven foot panda and it's funny because red pandas are actually really really small mm-hmm. um so the fact that they kind of like transformed her into this huge very cuddly looking creature is uh yeah. a good choice i would say but in the film itself when that happens to her her mother assumes that she has started her period mm-hmm. uh, and she is 13 when did you start your period by the way is that, t- <laughs> is that tmi is that no, tmi no no it's not i was actually thinking of this last night trying to remember yeah. um i think it might have been when i was 11 or 12 and it was around thanksgiving of one year maybe when i was 12 yeah. um but yeah that was just like it's a pivotal moment uh, it is. in a girl's life and it's just it's mortifying in a sense i think yeah. i I just snuck upstairs and I went to my mom's, uh, my parents' bedroom and my, like, rifled under the, the sinks for my mom's supply of, like, pads and stuff. Um, yeah. And I didn't even tell her for, for a little bit because I was just like, this is embarrassing. This is terrible. This is awful. Oh, damn. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, same. It, I think I was 13, which also I was in 2002 as well. So this was. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So great. <laughs> and, um, yeah, that was one of the worst days of my life, I would easily say, oh. of my childhood life. I didn't have the luxury of uh, not being able to tell my mom because mm. I woke up and I was sleeping in a pool of my own blood. Oh, <laughs> so, shit. Yeah, it was really fucked up. It, it was definitely like the rudest awakening imaginable. Anyway, memories. Yeah, I think many people have responded to it just because we don't really have, you know, we've talked about it, we don't really have that many coming-of-age, puberty, especially, movies mm-hmm. that focus solely on girls. I think that's part of the reason why I love Pen15, because it mm. is, again, it's like grade 8. Uh, it's about these two girls. Um, and this was just perfect to watch in especially a kids' movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, no, not so much a one that's, I don't know, like a flashback or something. Mm-hmm. But in the context of this film that red panda uh, that may thinks is just happening to her she finds out that it's actually something that's happened to all the women in her family much like menstruation mm-hmm. <laughs> and then after her mother finds out and realizes that it's happening to may I-, I guess the uh the tension in this film is like trying to control that transformation and for her mother it's necessary and the way to do that is to control her emotions um so that it does it doesn't get out of hand because the way that the red panda appears is whenever May feels like a strong emotion. Yeah, and that's that's symbolic of like adulthood, right? Like if you know how to control your emotions as a teen, then you become an adult, mm-hmm. uh, also people say. So I thought that was really smart. 
I thought that was a really like cute way of of depicting it, and in a way that is like accessible to kids. And even if they don't know what's going on exactly, there is that scene with Maylin and her mother where she assumes it's the period. That is like I guess the conversation starter for many kids that have never that don't know what that's about or don't know about kids' periods. Another theme that I thought was interesting in terms of like people reacting to it immediately in a knee-jerk way uh, was horniness, <laughs> which is, again, about puberty. Yeah, it's like the, the crushes and fantasies of uh, basically 13-year-old girls, which is something that, yeah, isn't explored that much. I think, like, We've especially gotten it more in like Bob's Burgers with Tina Belter. She's a very horny, like, uh, oh, young yeah. teenager. But yeah, like, I think some people, maybe especially like people who are not teenage girls at one point, they don't realize that, you know, prepubescent or like young teen girls, like, they can have like desires as much as any guy. Um, it just maybe could take the form of like a slightly different uh in a slightly different way so oh, yeah wow. may is like all about um drawings drawing her her crushes uh, the the boys she finds cute imagining them as as mermen as like um strong dudes like kissing her and i don't know it's so i feel like some people were surprised by this um because they're yeah. like teen girls aren't that horny like why do they make her they're oh, so, so so horny and it's like no i think buddy <laughs> the teen teen girls like very much have their own kind of uh, fantasies and desires in a way in a way that you wouldn't believe mm-hmm. dude it, well, i think my favorite thing about this was the way that it intersected girls horniness with our love for like fantastical elements mm-hmm. like the fact that her crush was a merman i thought was genius <laughs> Because uh, around that age, I was definitely like into Legolas. Oh, I was just into Legolas, about. like hard. Oh my god, Legolas, fucking hell, man! Shout out to you, Orlando Bloom. Like you're such a dumb dumb now, but you have such a form. Being an elf, anyway, being a pirate. Oh, all wonderful. of that, all of that. Yeah, wonderful. But I, <laughs> the, my main thought was like, I know this is a kids' movie, but fucking hell, I was definitely not just drawing kissing when <laughs> I was a teen. Like, I had no access to porn, any kind of borderline sexually explicit, softcore, nothing online. Like, I just couldn't. Um, so I had to basically, like, do my own drawings of sex. I'm just remembering, like, drawing it and being, like, obsessed with it and, like, trying to hide it and then being too terrified and then, like, cutting it up into, like, little pieces and, like, throwing it out on my way to school because mm. I'd be terrified that my mum would see uh, but yeah, I definitely was like showing hole even in my <laughs> in, oh even my in my God. sketches as a kid, dude. So I guess like when we're talking about set pieces, characters, anything, anything, what were some of your favorite moments in in this film? I love how they depicted you know when they go through this ritual to try to tame or control or get rid of the the red panda spirit side of things, mm. like how that uh, is portrayed, like by spiritually go to this bamboo forest uh this Mm. ancestral bamboo forest and then when they have the option of crossing over they like see themselves in a mirror they can choose to go through it and if they go through it uh you see on the other side of the mirror in the forest you know their bamboo spirit uh crossing through as well so like literally splitting them from that side of themselves i thought that was a really beautiful depiction of you know how that might work and very smart too because i think for the most part when you see depictions of anything like that you just see something floating out of you and then like drifting away Mm -hmm. so this like pull and this like the physics of it yeah was was really interesting yeah and you have to actually fight to 
to make this happen to <laughs> I, yeah. I mean like throwback severance but like to sever that part of yourself and it's exactly, clinging yeah. to you yeah yeah i think <laughs> it's a really really funny film it's fu- way funnier than i thought it was going to be and it is funny in a way that is just silly mm-hmm. um which i adored but i think i was squealing in delight when the aunties descended onto <laughs> they really May's nailed house. that they nailed it dude like just the what they were wearing it was so it was amazing it was amazing um i just want to give a huge shout out to the songs the four town songs Mm. that were legitimately bangers Mm -hmm. so they're written by Billie eilish and um how do you say phineas phineas Phineas. yeah you're the younger one you know how to say that one (laughs) um (laughs) but the four town band obviously the one that may and her friends are obsessed with they have a couple of songs that the girls listen to and there's one song that i have not stopped listening to since i li- first mm. listened to so because it's, it's like proper earworm pop mm-hmm. banger from They're that catchy, time yeah i also really like the animation style they deviated a little bit from the usual pixar animation and uh leaned a little bit more into the anime accents throughout the animation which i really liked i really the love the yeah and i really love yeah. the colors like they you know, they did a lot of pinks and purples and, yeah. you know, not quite sticking closely to, like, this is the the palette of realism or whatever, but, like, yeah. a little bit of, like, hyper pop, like, saturated, a little bit uh, neon in some ways. Yep. Neon pastel. Uh, I thought that was uh, really gorgeous. Well, I like to call the bisexual palette. Um, ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also want to give a shout out to the way they depicted the city of Toronto. Um, mm-hmm. I Not that... I'm the expert on what it's meant to look like, but it did make me miss the two years that I lived there. Uh, oh, shout out to the streetcars. Yeah, dude. It's always fun to see different kinds of cities and not the same American cities over and over again. <laughs> no offense. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that was really cool as well. Um, so I just want to now get stuck into the deeper themes, the themes that have really stayed with me after watching the film. So the part that resonated for me anyway um was yeah you guessed it the generational curse of expectant mothers mm-hmm. do you have an expectant mother do you have a mother that expects a world of you jenny or is your mom pretty chill i think probably when i was younger i felt more of that sort of expectation like especially at the age where they expect you to get good grades yeah. uh you know take piano lessons which i did but I think overall, like, uh, the expectations I have for my mother or the, the pressures I have from her are of a slightly different sort than this kind, what you would mm-hmm. imagine, like, the traditional tiger mom, quote-unquote tiger mom right. to have. Um, my mom, especially, I think, uh, as we've both grown older, has become much more... Chill. Yeah, in a sense. <laughs> and, like, really, she she just wants me to be happy. And mm-hmm. the pressure I have from her is, like, of a different sort of, like... Right can I take care of her um, or like, mm. can I live my life, but still take care of her? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I slightly different experience than what May May has and what I'm guessing uh, you're going to talk about, Pollen. Oh, buddy. I think it's never really ended for me, unfortunately. I think my mom has definitely chilled out uh, since I graduated university, but it's still there. The, the The shades of it are still there and still pretty strong. Um, but yeah, I was like, I'm the firstborn daughter and Mei Mei is an only child. I think like Domi Shi, I think is also an only child. Um, but yeah, man, like I, I definitely, definitely had no time or room to establish what I wanted and who I was as, as a, an adolescent kid. 
And it was definitely like my world revolved around my mother's expectations and what she wanted for me and pleasing her and like being the top student and, and all of that. So yeah, it, it, this, um, this rang extremely true for me. And I think I would even say that Maymay's mum is pretty nice in comparison to mine. Bless her. Bless my mum. Sorry. Love her. But she, she was definitely very anxious about my performance in school to the point of, it just wasn't very healthy. And I think like this film does a really good job of showcasing how unhealthy that kind of setup of a relationship is in terms mm-hmm. of you get to see both sides of it in a way. But for the most part, it's more advocating for Maymay's wants and what she's going through. And I really appreciated that because it's so internalized that like, you can see how internalized it is. That embarrassing scene where her mother embarrasses her in front of oh, boys. God. That's really one of the most... Uh, <sighs> that in the classroom scene, those are really some of the most like viscerally uh, yeah, just, just like, mortifying. embarrassing, cringing yeah. scenes I've seen in a while. Yeah, And then, you know, that evening where May is alone, she is not angry at her mom. She is only angry at herself, which I thought was um, really smart and really accurate because you... You know your mother. You know what she's like. And because you know that, you are the one in control of how anything goes from that point onwards, basically. Like, the burden is on you. And, yeah, I I, I thought it was very sad, but also in a way that I thought was necessary to show. Someone needs to see what it looks like when you're in the thick of it. But the scene that I think, I don't know, maybe you teared up, but the scene where I was bawling my eyes out uh, was in the bamboo forest where may sees her the younger version of her mother crying just like she's crying about mm-hmm. disappointing her mother and mm-hmm. the depiction of that was i thought the smartest thing about this film in that the takeaway is that this just keeps happening and like the red panda this is like a generational curse that mm-hmm. they all they all the women in the family have to kind of shake off and a Twitter user actually called Twitchy Hoshi. They basically summed it up. They said, Turning Red is a great example of how the hardest part of ending generational curses and radically accepting that your mother was just a byproduct of cultural abuse she endured is seeing the same broken child that lives inside of you in her and having to learn to forgive her. So, you know, that is, um, that I think hits the nail on the head, which kind of brings me to why I think this has been such a controversial film i think or or why people's reactions have been so split is this a film for kids or is this a film for people our age trying to heal their inner child what do you think well i I think the best films like quote-unquote children's films i think they're made for both yeah you know as a child what you appreciate is slightly different from maybe what a a 30 or 40 or 50 year old you know looking back at something um and thinking of their own childhood so Mm -hmm. you know when i was younger and watching the pixar films like finding nemo the incredibles yeah um, yeah all the miyazaki films like what i liked about them was i i could get some of the themes like they're not so uh, subtle or hidden as to be like totally obscure to the, the kids who are watching it but i also you know i was a kid i loved the adventure i loved the the exciting like animated sequences. I loved mm-hmm. all of that in addition to the things that they were making me feel, even if I couldn't exactly articulate yeah. what it was making me feel. Yeah. And as an adult, I think that appreciation for the latter just kind of gets a little bit sharper and, mm-hmm. and more finely honed because you have the vocabulary and the experience to actually like pinpoint what it is that 
the film is is doing to you and making you feel and how it's reminding you of certain things yes. in your life or your childhood. So yeah. I think the best children's movies, like they they tackle both of both sides of that, yeah, both totally. demographics. The fact that you mentioned Finding Nemo is great because I think this is a film about the same thing from the perspective like the, the perspectives are different. So Finding Nemo was the, from the perspective of the parent and I think Turning mm-hmm. Red is from the perspective of the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I do think that the feedback from this, uh, like a lot of the negative reviews have been from parents and i think that's really interesting interesting. because like many of them will be like i don't know how how to have this talk with my sons about puberty like i don't know i don't really want to chat to them or it's this is encouraging rebellion and it's and it's making kids feel like they shouldn't listen to their parents and that's bad and that's a bad lesson and i just think the best kinds of children's films advocate for the kids and if you as a parent are bristling against something like this i think you should think about your parenting tactics like it isn't so much that it's us versus them and i think this is a perfect film that kind of encapsulates that you have to work together to kind of hear each other out that's so strange i didn't know that some of the critique was coming from that uh, point of view yeah well like when the film first came out one of the initial like the one star ratings were all just like uh, this is going to encourage rebellion like this is going to like oh. the kids are just like you're encouraging kids to not listen to their parents like she's going out and doing things that she shouldn't be doing and it's like all right wait wait for the point to go way over your head dude if your kids aren't talking yeah. to you that's the problem this is a film about kids not talking to their parents and parents not wanting to hear it um yeah so yeah. anyway I think it's a, this is a very important film. I think in the most recent Pixar films, don't get me wrong, I love Soul as well, but this is one of my favorites that they've come out. Um, I think this and then the last one was probably Inside Out for me. Uh, so shout out to this film. We love it a lot. And I hope that you watch it with your kids if you have kids. And if you don't, it's a good time anyway to heal your inner child, baby. And what was on the docket for you this week, Jenny? So I have been watching The Tourist on HBO Max. This is no relation to the film The Tourist, so just happen to share a name. <laughs> this is an internationally produced six-part action slash thriller series. Uh, it's written by the brothers Harry and Jack Williams and directed by Chris Sweeney. Uh, the basic summary of it is that after a mysterious incident, a man, played by Jamie Dornan, wakes up in a hospital in the Australian outback with amnesia. And so in trying to find out his identity, his past, who he really is, he quickly realizes that uh, whoever he was at some point, he was definitely involved in some shady business. And people from his past are trying to come after him and trying to kill him, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so this series, it opens with a really great opening sequence, I think. Mm-hmm. This guy, Jamie Dornan's character, he is in the middle of like rural Australia. He stops by a gas station. He continues driving. And then there's a moment when he realizes that the truck that is driving behind him which is this huge rig, like uh, definitely eclipsing his car in size. It's trying to deliberately run him off the road. And even when he tries to escape, like he turns very sharply, uh, the road, like the, the truck continues to come after him. And you see that, that you get that realization, both you and his character that like, uh, this guy wants to kill him. Yeah. So for me, that just like immediately raised the stakes. It got me so intrigued. It hooked me in uh, a really strong start. Because there are just so many question marks like surrounding this. What is 
this driver doing? Who is this driver? Who sent him? Who is this guy? Like, what happened to make this happen? Yeah. But I will say, like, the further the series progressed and the more that question marks were sort of answered, like, we get the, the trickle of information filling in, the less I was into it, I think. Mm. Um, but what about you, Pellin? What was your experience watching this? And, and how far along are you? Um, I made it halfway. Okay. Before I gave up. I'm sorry. Really? All yeah. right. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. So... Just as you said, the second I realized that his life is a little bit more predictable than I initially thought, the second I started checking out. Yeah, yeah. And I understand, I understand like it's a thriller and and all of that and it will entail murder and I don't know, just crime. Yeah, nefarious crimes of any kind. Drugs. Yeah, it's just, I don't know why I wanted something that deviated a little bit more from the script. Me too. So, yeah. yeah. It kind of. It was a similar thing to um, The Flight Attendant, I I think, which is a thing that we talked about in an earlier episode. Neither of us like that very much. No. Um, Yeah, we are one of the rare occurrences that are not (laughs) Flight Attendant fans. Uh, I know that the second series trailer dropped this week and I could not care less. Anyway, carry on. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but I think it is quite hard to pull off this kind of trick, which is the amnesia centered thriller Mm -hmm. i think the bar is set so high by the initial mystery and all the question marks that the truth whenever it's revealed it just can't really live up to the intrigue uh, that's set by the beginning like whatever did happen like if they're staying within this realm of realism um or like they're not going to delve into fantasy or the surreal or like the the Mm -hmm. highly imaginative creative route Whatever it is, it's going to be fairly standard. Um, The giddiness of not knowing is partly what makes the beginnings of these kind of things so so good yeah this just like started to to flounder quite a bit about about halfway through like you said you know um you know what my issue with these things are that like the the amnesia inspired thriller like Mm -hmm. the slow reveals of them yeah (sighs) like the emotional undercurrent has to be there in terms of what our main character is going through how the people around him are responding to him or not Mm -hmm. responding to him or her that is the spine that holds the whole whole thing up and i feel like a lot of these underdeveloped the spine and just want big muscles in terms of like i don't know the drug cartel shit the trafficking shit the Mm -hmm. and all of the like the high drama stuff that we can't necessarily relate to but that is empty calories to me i I guess i'm craving something that is that this kind of premise but maybe it's a little bit more down to earth like maybe the thing that they're forgetting is something that they that could happen to any of us or yeah is like, like drama it doesn't have a, to stretch exactly it doesn't have to go level. to the crime realm necessarily yeah for it to be dramatic i guess that I don't yeah know, maybe i'll write it who fucking knows <laughs> <laughs> yeah you should but yeah because the the sort of emotional undercurrent or the larger theme the core of these um they are really like about identity mm-hmm. who you are who you were can you change like whoever you were in the past and like yeah. if it was someone bad if you were someone bad in the past like what how how does the guilt work in that yeah. how how does like the dissonance and the guilt like play into this yeah. like all of these uh could apply whether it is like your past is being uh involved in some like international crime ring or whether it's just like your past is your 
kind of a regular shitty person and you yeah you did some bad things but they weren't like uh human trafficking like that level of bad yeah um yeah yeah those are all sort of baked into the premise of the amnesia thriller but uh for this one like they wanted to sort of gesture at this uh but they didn't really provide more insight more interiority so the result is a little bit underbaked and so that in that case you know just go entirely into sort of the born ultimatum like like just lean into the explosives yeah and like the the car chases and whatever like don't try to pretend that there is like a deeper meaning yeah uh what did you think of the i guess like halfway through the series have they started giving like the the romantic threads yet i can't quite yeah yeah they have i really liked it i i think danielle mcdonald is amazing as helen she is very funny she's so good and i think like in terms of the performances she's the best one like she's the one that emotes the vulnerability and it's wild to me that she's the protagonist like as far as i'm concerned she's the one that i'm more invested in and it's because we spend more time with her day-to-day and like her emotional journey it's a little bit more like relatable um Mm -hmm. in a way that that oh for sure (laughs) like yeah i mean obviously for us too but um in general too I, i i feel like she is just um i'm really rooting for her the whole time yeah um yeah so. she's sort of the emotional core of the show mm-hmm. she has her own parallel journey where she's also feeling kind of dissatisfied or not perfectly content with her life and who her fiance says she is yeah. um insists that she is so there is a sort of like parallel journey with her and with her uh relationship with the man elliot is what uh we learned jamie dornan's character's name yeah they do sort of like throw them together in romantically uh, at some point mm-hmm. and this continues i think it, throughout the latter half of the series and actually like it the ending however this end ends is like very much predicated on like that mm-hmm. relationship whether romantic or not mm-hmm. um you i guess like you don't have to continue watching this but anyone who does like i don't quite like what they do with her and elliot's relationship especially at the end when so much of it like is uh it's pivotal to elliot's like sort of ultimate ending mm. um i i wish that they had sort of like let helen stand on her own as mm. this secondary or even like primary lead like they don't right. need to sort of uh sort of entangle her with elliot and make so much of his fate like dependent on her approval or her desire of him yeah um yeah. Oh god, you're so, making me curious. Maybe I will. Fi- okay, I'll I'll finish watching. It. All right, then. <laughs> maybe you can zoom through. Yeah. It's like it doesn't take that much time. Have it in the yeah. background. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So there's that thread. Uh. There's another character, Lucy, who I think is like the third build, mm. played by Shalom Brune Franklin. She's also supposed to be like one of the the romantic, uh, love interests, but she is like severely underdeveloped as a character. So yeah, a little disappointed by yeah that as well. I thought her and Jamie had great chemistry though. They did. Mm-hmm. They do. I'll talk about one thing I do like about this the series because mm-hmm. I I really was like hoping to that it would stick the landing and and like flush out the middle because I loved yeah. how it started out. And I think part of the reason I liked it so much at the beginning was it has like a very pulpy feeling to it, especially like the different tones. Oh yeah. Yeah, they're playing off of this there's the suspense and intrigue and then there's like the actual serious and violent stuff like you get some pretty explicit uh deaths and and gruesome violence and then there are these moments of more tongue-in-cheek darker comedy they clash against each other but in a way that i thought had a lot of promise um but actually i do think now that 
it should have leaned into the black comedy even more. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. especially in the end, it gets a little bit more uh, sentimental, treacly. It's it's just, like, sagging in a way mm. that the beginning didn't. Like, the beginning was lean enough that it was... It was good. So yeah. they, they should have just made it uh, made it funnier. Don't take yourselves so seriously. And I think it could have been a lot more like Riders of Justice in that way. Yeah. I mean, it's it's set in the Australian outback. Like, mm-hmm. Australians are funny. It, mm-hmm. It's very similar to British comedy in that it is dark. It is like it knows how to make fun of itself. Yeah. Um, that was definitely the appeal of it for me. Like, I really appreciated the location. Um, yeah. And how, how we don't really see it as much. Yeah, so. for sure. And it's just like this, the landscape is very beautiful. And the way they shoot it is also very like a stark and kind of like warm yellow orange tone. Uh, oh, the Middle so that East was a filter. <laughs> yeah, it was a little yeah. bit like that. Yeah. Um, but I did like the setting too. I thought that was like a good choice. And yeah, we're, we're better to have all of these miscellaneous crimes that no one seems to care about than like the middle of fucking nowhere. Yeah. Overall, though, like, yeah, it had a good start. Wish it kept it up throughout all of it. Uh, yeah. But one thing that I am taking away from this is that I do think I like Jamie Dornan in general. I hope he continues to do, like, slightly off-kilter stuff. Like, he, there is a moment where he, you know, Fifty Shades Grey, whatever. Like, every, he could have been, like, the next Rob Pattinson. Um, yeah. But that didn't really work out for one way or another. And... I think it will be good if he, like, leans into some of the weirder stuff. Did you watch Bob and Star go to Vista Del Mar? No, I didn't. He's he's in that, and he's actually a pretty good comedy actor, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he proved himself in that. If he wants to go the weird route, he definitely can. Uh, yeah, but I think he could be funny. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but he is in Belfast, which is Kenneth yes. Branagh's film that's like going around with the with the yeah. award circuit. So mm-hmm. he's he's yeah he's shedding the skin, much like his co-star from Fifty Shades um, of that Fifty Shades <laughs> uh, yeah. shadow that's been set on the both of them. I think they're both stepping out of it. So I think I think so too. Yeah, uh, it is really quite strange what these big franchises do to actors' careers. Uh, yeah. Twilight. Fifty Shades, like everything, and how they have to get out from under it uh, in some way. Oh, what a so. what a batshit moment in film when those two were out at the same time. Fucking I know. Hell. So this week in culture, we are going to be talking about how TikTok has become the Cannes Film Festival's official partner. So. Yeah. What does that mean, Palin? Oh, um, it's weird, like seeing film festivals try and figure out a way to make themselves like a little bit more relevant as time goes on. Yeah, because uh, I guess, well, I think Cannes doesn't. I think they broadcast in France, but certainly uh, not not really the rest of the world. It's just, you know, the Oscars is freaking out and they're making terrible t- decisions to try and get more people to watch them. And I think Cannes is also trying to like make them feel a little bit less archaic. So one of the things, one of the ways that they're trying to do it is that I guess the teen's favorite filmmaking tool, TikTok. Um, yes. <laughs> this is actually pretty, I will say this is pretty smart. Like, Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I find it a little bit dread because it's like, oh, like we're just, I guess this is the way we're going now. Like just short form, like hyper short form. But it doesn't matter because I feel like the teens are going to be all right. The kids are going to be all right. They are finding ways to get creative yeah, this is this is great, I think. I mean, you know better than I do. You actually have TikTok, whereas mm-hmm. I'm still... Uh, I don't know why. You're getting them off of, like, Twitter threads. Yeah, yeah. It's more like <laughs> Instagram and Twitter. I'm like, I wait for other people to curate it for me as opposed to me mm-hmm. going out and do my, do my own curation. But the ones that I've seen... 
um, have been pretty great. The way that I even found out about this was because uh, a Twitter user called Written by Hannah, she uh, quote tweeted it and said, which TikTok do you think deserves an Oscar? And this resulted in many users uh, putting forth their favorite short form filmmaking um, on the TikTok platform. And it ranges from like, you know, the, the more the more TikTok formatted stuff. Uh, into the the way more wild and creative, like like working with music and sound uh, to depict certain stuff. I'll say that I think it's like interesting the way that people talk about TikTok, especially on places on Twitter where there are a lot of older people who are consuming this like content made by especially a lot of younger people. Like it's 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 very polarized. Like either the adults go wild over what the teens are doing, they go like wow, like, this deserves an Oscar, this deserves an Oscar. Like, you see every day, like, there is some short video that's, like, you know, like, a pretty well-made 30-second, um, like, video by an inspiring 20-year-old filmmaker. And yeah. and people are really, like, hyping it up to a point where it's, like, you are just using that phrase, like, you don't really know, like, you don't actually think this will win an Oscar or yeah, it's, like, yeah. the same caliber of something as as like a, a very carefully considered and crafted film. Yeah. Um, and then there's the other side where people are like, you know, TikTok is all trash. Like none of, none of it is actual like work or film editing or filmmaking when that is also wrong because, you know, it is like actually a, a very powerful editing tool. People are out here. Creators yeah. are out here like trying to do stuff with it. Basically it's just like people are too extreme one way or the other. Right. Yes. And, uh, I think the, Yes. The undeniable truth of it is that it is quite a powerful platform and tool and people who are going to make videos on it, they have the capability as much as anyone of making something really good. Um, yeah. But whether or not we want to like... Encourage it or... Or like, yeah, like yeah. the way... I don't like that um, the attention span and like the sort of diet of social media videos... They run so short and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like it would be a shame if everything just like runs towards getting shorter and getting punchier and getting compressed into the short form format. Yeah. And, but at the same time, there is like room for experimentation in that realm. So I don't really know is, what yeah. I'm trying to say. Except no, no, that you're, it's, uh, it's you're, interesting. Ab- you're absolutely right. And it is interesting because it is a matter of like you said the skills that make anything good whether it's a film or a 10 second or a one minute video in terms of the cadence of things the rollout of information that you're getting or like the entertainment value um it's all on a spectrum right so it is it is cool that they're doing this and we are entertained when we watch those tiktoks of you know the the ones that everyone does gush over about how it needs an oscar because like that's yeah hilarious. like quote unquote like very cinematic yeah or uh, like the sound design ones. being fantastic or like the rollout of the tension or whatever like all of that yeah of course mm-hmm. but the fact remains is that like whether this is a pipeline for filmmakers is a is a wholly different question because making a minute long video is is obviously entirely different mm-hmm. than making a whole film it's just fun yeah. that I think, I guess somewhere like Can is like not taking itself too seriously. And I don't think it's like hearkening any kind of bad news for the future. I just think, I just think this is fun, but I guess we'll know in about 10 years, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, if, if the internet still exists. Oh God, point. I bloody well hope it doesn't. But yeah, it is interesting. It is interesting. In the meantime, we will uh, post that link in our sub stack with some of our favorites. 
um, mm. that, that we think deserve the Oscar much to that prompt um and if there is any <laughs> if there is a tiktok that you think deserves an oscar let us know we would love to see it yeah point us to some some good tiktoks some of your favorite accounts we always love to see these things especially yeah. i mean i'm on tiktok all the time but my feed is mostly like uh cats and dogs and like cooking videos at this you've, point so you've got it just right <laughs> yeah um in the meantime if you are watching anything that you think we should check out please let us know at criticismisdead at gmail.com or just at us or DM us at criticismisdead on Twitter and Instagram for extended show notes, including links to everything that we've been talking about and more. Subscribe to criticismisdead.substack.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts with that sweet five stars. Tell a friend about us. Tell, tell them that you love us. Tell them that we're the f- best podcast that you've ever heard in your entire life. Thank you so much. Yes, and we will see you soon. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelinkeskin Lu and Jenny G. Zhang. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Luke.